am still uh, in the uh, semi-lockdown. I guess we're all at home trying to figure out, like, when is this going to end? Our brains can't even wrap around what's happened. It's actually, uh, for me, I mean, if I'm thinking about it, this is like something nobody would have believed, right? If four months ago somebody would have told you, guess what, America with It's booming economy. Everything doing so great is going to be on lockdown. There's going to be a virus coming out of China with the Wuhan virus, I like to call it, because uh, we all know, based on what we're seeing and evidence that's been coming out, I've talked to U.S. intelligence officials as well uh, that have said they are very closely looking at the labs in Wuhan and that this virus could have emanated from those labs. Um, In fact, they're pretty sure it did. Uh, so based on everything that they know, right? But if we would have said this four months ago, if somebody would have told you this, you would have said, no way, that's impossible. A complete shutdown, a complete shutdown of the economy on a global scale. And there's people dealing with this, not just, you know, of course, our country, everything that's happening to you and me, how we're handling it. I, I mean, I'm still homeschooling. I'm sure you're still homeschooling. I'm sure there's people out here are listening to this that are in college and you are sitting by going on virtual college classes. Jenny wrote a great piece today at sarahcarter.com. You've got to look at it. It's about the university systems and uh, basically what's happened to our college students. And she talked directly to congressional members and to people who are, you know, basically finishing up their college from their bedrooms, uh, you know, on their computer. And, uh, you know, the fact that our university systems are taking so much money uh, right now, too, and how frustrated students are because it's just not life as normal. They're not learning as much. They're not, it's, it's not the same, right? It's not the same as being in a classroom. Got to, you got to read her story. Jenny Tear at uh, sarahcarter.com. Please go and please read it. Uh, it's very, very important. It deals with our university systems. And I want to go on because so much has happened too beyond uh, coronavirus. And I will get back to that very, very important topic. But we're also dealing with a lot of other issues too. And last week, uh, I was able to break several stories uh, regarding Senator Ron Johnson and uh, Senator Chuck Grassley, who have done incredible work at exposing, just like Congressman Devin Nunez did when and still does, uh, from the House Intelligence Committee, on what happened during the FBI's investigation, debunked investigation, folks, completely debunked, that President Trump, that President Trump conspired with Russia. Completely debunked. But huge stories that broke uh, regarding the declassification of footnotes, which uh, acting director of national intelligence, Rick Grinnell, was a part of declassifying these footnotes that basically showed that the FBI knew. They knew from the beginning. Let me tell you this again. They knew during this investigation that Christopher Steele's information in his dodgy, salacious dossier was nothing more than Russian disinformation and lies paid for by the Hillary Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee. Everybody in America should be horrified by this, that people within our own intelligence community and FBI and FBI literally used Russian disinformation, and they knew it. It wasn't that they didn't know that they were tricked. They knew it. They knew it. They knew that this was Russian disinformation. They falsified FISA's, by the way, against Carter Page. They lied about everything. And somebody needs to be indicted. And somebody needs to be held accountable. In fact, more than a somebody. There's quite a few people that need to be held accountable for this because it tore up our nation for three and a half years and divided this country. And those were outright lies against a president. That is a national security issue, by the way, because these people like John Brennan, James Clapper, James Comey, all these former Obama senior officials lied about their own president of the United States Globally, they said he was a Manchurian candidate. They said he conspired with Russia. Guess what? He didn't. They did. They conspired with Russia. 
They did. And I have a great guest today. I mean, this is huge for the Sarah Carter show. Huge. I've got Laura Trump on. I've got Laura Trump on today. She's been amazing, really at the forefront. She is a senior advisor to Donald J. Trump for president. She is working on the campaign. She is doing her job out there all the time, doing these town halls, being a part of this innovative process, this online innovative process with Brad Pascal, who's with the campaign. They have done incredible work. Incredible work at reaching you, the American people, and making you a part of a process that's so important. It's so important for us to be involved, even if we're at home right now, even if we're on lockdown, to be involved in the election process. In November, we are having a presidential election, and we need to be a part of that. This nation was built and founded on those essential freedoms that we are a part of this process And that is why President Donald Trump in 2016, despite everything that was against him, despite the fact that the most senior people of the former Obama administration were conspiring against him, by the way, conspiring against the American people, against you, they were conspiring against you, despite all of that, he won the election. And he has made incredible strides on deregulation, on our foreign policy overseas. Uh, Laura Trump will talk to you about all of these issues and how the president has been forthright and steadfast on all of these issues from China for the last 30 years and to what's happening right now with this election. And she's going to be breaking some news on here. So you've got to listen. It's great. It's great that this president has been able to handle everything he has been able to handle despite all of the obstacles put against him. And, you know, his daughter-in-law and his family have stood behind him the whole way, stood behind him the whole way and have, have spoken and been outspoken about what he has done and defended him. And that's what you do when you're a family and that's what you do when you're doing the right thing, when you're not afraid to just speak, to just tell it like it is. And I think that's why president Trump connects so well to the American people and why his family connects so well to the American people, because they're not robots. They haven't been in this bubble of Washington DC where everybody measures every single word that comes out of their mouth and plays these games with you. We were so sick and tired of that. The American people, you, me, we were all tired of it. It was like, what are you saying? How many times did other administrations promise and never deliver on so many things? Let's just bring up one. Moving the embassy from Tel Aviv in Israel to Jerusalem. Moving the embassy to Jerusalem, recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. How many times were we told that? And guess what? It was all lies because they knew they were never going to do that. But not President Donald Trump. Not President Donald Trump. And when people tried to talk him out of it after he was elected, sources tell me he fought back. No, I promise this to the American people. There is not going to be a massive war in the Middle East over this. We are going to keep our promises to our allies and to the American people. That's exactly what he did. And that's exactly how he responded to coronavirus. Don't let the left lie to you. I want to play something. I I just I have to play this clip. Um, And it is of Nancy Pelosi uh, on Fox News with Chris Wallace. She hadn't been on since 2017 on Fox News. I want you to know that. So she has not been on Fox News since 2017. And I think this was a really good point that Chris Wallace made. And I want you to hear Nancy Pelosi's answer to this question. You, as you are right now, have been very critical of President Trump, especially for what you say is the time that he lost initially in January and February in responding to the virus. But I want to point out that on February 24th, you went on a walking tour of Chinatown to try to promote tourism there. And here's some of what you had to say. That's what we're trying to do today is to say everything is fine here. 
come because the precautions have been taken. We think it's very safe to be in Chinatown and hope that others will come. If the president underplayed the threat in the early days, Speaker Pelosi, didn't you as well? No, what we're trying to do is to end the discrimination, the stigma that was going out against the Asian uh, American community. And in fact, if you will look, the record will show uh, that our Chinatown has been a model uh, of containing and, and preventing uh, the virus. What? I mean, you, I, can't, I don't even know what to say. Look, that was February 24th. The president took measures in January. He was still dealing with an unknown, something that, by the way, has never happened in modern times right now, the way that it's happened, this pandemic, global pandemic. And he went against everybody, by the way. Joe Biden called him a xenophobe. Uh, Nancy Pelosi called him a xenophobe. She was willing to walk through Chinatown, tell everybody to walk around and expose everyone on February 24th to COVID-19. That's what she was willing to do to go after President Trump. The Democrats in no way, shape, or form actually believed what President Trump was willing to believe in January, they were not. They were not, because they politicize everything. They politicize it all. They were too busy impeaching him. Remember that? He was trying to focus on all of this, and this is what I'm talking about. We have a leader, President Trump. President Donald Trump is a leader that, I mean, we, I can't even imagine somebody else doing what he does. They were lobbying stuff at him day after day, impeachment, xenophobe, everything that they could do. While he's getting briefings in the White House trying to figure out, like, what is this? What is coming out of China? What was this outbreak? How are we handling this? Okay, well, I'm going to lock it down. I'm going to stop the flights that were coming in from China. He did let in Americans, by the way, that he has to. They're American citizens during that time. So don't let, don't buy any of the lies that the Democrats are saying. He kept those flights open. The only ones that he kept open, the people that he allowed in, were people that had, they were green called card holders or American citizens. That's who he let back in. But he was very concerned and very worried about what was going on because he was being briefed by our intelligence community and he was listening. But he was also being cautious, right? You don't want to just be an alarmist right off the bat. You need to see the facts. So laying out those facts and coming before the American people every single day now, daily press briefings. Here's the president, two hours a day, talking directly to you. And that's what's important here. It's important to understand fact versus fiction and how people are being played in the media. And that takes me right back to what we were talking about with the whole Russia hoax scandal. It was a hoax, you guys, just like Greg Jarrett's book, The Russia Hoax, right? It was a hoax. It was a hoax played on a global scale against this president and against this administration. And they don't want you to know about it. They don't want to tell you the truth. They being all of those people that have been involved in this. That's why John Durham, the prosecutor, and Attorney General William Barr have to do their job. They need to lay it all out, whether it's in a full report or whether they go straight for indictments, straight for indictments on people that literally violated the law, weaponized our system against the American people and against a president of the United States. It is absolutely unacceptable. And it can happen to any one of you. And believe me, it has. It has happened to people. This isn't the first time. Okay, let's go really quickly to what's been happening in the United States with uh, coronavirus and the outbreak of COVID-19. First of all, my heart breaks for all the families out there that have had to deal with this and for all of the your loved ones and your friends uh, who may have been affected by this. It's really tragic. Right now, we're seeing fatalities worldwide at right around 166,205 numbers going up. Nationwide fatalities uh, right now are at 
a little over 40,000, maybe closer to 41,000 um, cases worldwide, uh, nearly two and a half million cases worldwide. Um, in the United States, we have 759,786 that at least have, we could say, have had coronavirus um, and have been tested for it. So it's definitely something that the U.S. government is still dealing with, certainly something that we are all dealing with. Uh, and we know that there's people out there right now protesting across the country that are terrified they're going to lose their jobs. We've got 22 million uh, people who have applied for unemployment. Uh, this is, uh, you know, I'm hoping that once we start reopening the country, we're going to see the economy start to rush back to where it was. It's going to take some time. It's going to be hard. There's going to be some hiccups. But I think that we can do this together. Remember, we're all in this together. And without any further ado, I'd love to bring on and so excited to have her on the Sarah Carter show uh, is Laura Trump. She is the senior advisor to the Donald J. Trump for president uh, campaign. And she is President Trump's daughter-in-law. She's been out there on the forefront basically battling the Democrats, getting the truth out there, uh, standing up for you uh, and for all of you out there who support President Trump and has been really one of the most outspoken members uh, of the campaign, somebody who has really taken the time, despite having two very young children, she's going to talk a little bit about that, two very young children, her and Eric, um, in New York City on lockdown, has really been working diligently to stay in touch with you, the American people, and make you a part of this election. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I'm so grateful. I know you're really busy with the campaign, and I can't wait to hear how you're handling um, the lockdown from New York. So once again, thank you so much for being here at the Sarah Carter Show. Really appreciate I'm so I'm so excited there. Thank you for having me. And I'll apologize in advance to your audience if you hear kids in the background or dogs barking. We're we're social distancing and quarantining like everyone else in the country. Oh, me too. I tell everybody <laughs> every time they come on the show, you know, anytime they hear me or anyone else, we hear kids in the background, we have dogs barking, my daughter's upstairs doing homeschooling. You're um, obviously on lockdown. Let's talk a little bit about that first. I mean, what is it like for you in New York City? And, you know, being with the kids inside all the time, yeah. <laughs> trying to balance everything out along with running a campaign. Well, uh, it's certainly been interesting. I don't think anything uh, could have prepared any of us, you know, in the entire country for this. But it's I think it's even more challenging when you do have kids. And my kids are two and a half and eight months old now. So it's not like I can really fully explain what's going on uh, for my son. He was in school. So schools obviously are closed for the rest of the year here in New York. And uh We've been doing like online Zoom calls with the teacher and some of his uh, classmates as well. So they have that consistency going. But uh, but it's been different for sure. Um, I guess the good news is that we're spending a lot of time together. You know, I, I kind of have tried to find the silver lining in all of this. And I said to Eric the other night, I said, listen, I don't think we would have ever been able to spend this much time with our kids nonstop and each other, quite frankly. And I don't think we'll ever get to a point, you know, in many years from now when we look back on this time and although it's challenging while we're in it I don't think any of us will ever regret Sarah the time that we all got to spend together so uh, I'm really grateful for that obviously ready to get back to work and and get things back to normal to some degree but you know we're taking it day by day I think like everybody else in the country yeah, and I'm right there with you. I was saying the same to my husband, uh, Marty. We were talking about that just this time that you have to be with your family, even though it's under such, you know, difficult, difficult circumstances. And especially for so many families that are affected by coronavirus and are affected by this uh, terrible uh, tragedy, which, uh, you know, emanated from which emanated from China, but then took over the globe. I mean, there's people all over our planet right now that are really suffering. But for our families, I think there is this kind of like, 
being at home with them is a little bit of a silver lining that we actually can be with them, protect them and and spend some time together. How does that balance out, though, with your work on the campaign? There's been a lot of incredible work that uh, the Donald J. Trump campaign has been doing out there because this really is innovative. We've never experienced this before in an election year. And uh, so I'd like to know a little bit about what you guys are doing to try to keep the American public, every one of you out there who wants to be involved, get involved in politics, even if you're at home. Right. Yeah. Well, well, we have been. I mean, Sarah, we've continued the campaign. I think the really interesting thing has been that you saw in everyone remembers in 2016, we really kind of changed the game. And I will say I'll give full credit to the president. The president really changed the game when it came to politics, when it came to running for president and really the way a campaign was run. Um, even Facebook had to admit at the end of things that. Brad Perscale, who's now our campaign manager, was really masterful in the way he utilized social media, especially Facebook, to connect with voters all across the country. So we felt like we were very innovative in a way in 2016. Obviously now we would never experience something like this, especially in a, a time where typically we'd be out on the campaign trail. We'd be all over this country. The president would be holding the big rallies that we love to have. So we have had to take a step back and say, hey, how do we do this while still you know, maintaining you know, social distancing and the quarantining and et cetera. So we've actually switched to a completely digital platform. Uh, we launched armyfortrump.com, which is a website everybody can go to. You can find out how to get involved. We still have 880,000 volunteers mobilized across this country. And mostly that's coming from making phone calls. We know everybody's home, Sarah, because you're supposed to be home right now. So we're calling you at the Trump campaign. Uh, we have been hosting town halls. Uh, you saw that our first one, I think, was our Women for Trump. It was Kaylee McEnany and myself uh, hosting. And we had over a million viewers every time we host one of these digital, whether it's a roundtable, a town hall, et cetera, where we're connecting with people all across this country, we're getting a million plus viewers. And I think it's because people want to stay tuned in. So you can go to armyfortrump.com. You can go to donaldjtrump.com. You can find out how to get involved, join up with our coalition teams. We will be back to normal at some point. We would love to have you host MAGA meetups in your home, but currently you can host them digitally like we're all doing. Um, so there are many ways to get involved, but we are still running full steam ahead at the Trump campaign. We're still working hard to make sure that the president has a great victory on November 3rd. Well, and that's what's so incredible about this is, you know, over a million, that's really unheard of. When you think about this, being able to garner that much support from across the country with people all across the country, women and men uh, being actively involved uh, in the campaign and and joining you on Facebook, it's kind of like this virtual world. Uh, is there been anything surprising to you, something that stood out or an idea that came about just because You've had to do this, something that took you guys one way, then you, maybe you'll adapt and utilize this for future campaigns. Well, I think you're seeing it. I mean, I think the the way that we have sort of digitally started campaigning and we're welcoming comments and questions from viewers. We're going to be doing our first live uh, digital fundraising event coming up in about a week or so. And we've never done anything like this. So we're going to be taking live questions from uh, it'll be me, Eric, Don Jr. and Kimberly Guilfoyle. We'll all be taking questions live from from viewers and donors all across the country. Um, but I think, you know what, listen, we'll go back to normal campaigning. But I think this is something in the future that we can absolutely go to. I don't know why we would stop doing this. We're able to connect with so many more people all at once. Um, I think I was surprised to, to figure out how many people were to tuning in and signing up to be uh, parts of these events. Um, so we're going to continue that for sure. And you know what? Maybe the Trump campaign has has changed the game again in 2020. And maybe we'll campaign like this from here on out. We'll see. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see how other campaigns adopt a lot of the same uh, tactics and the same uh, type of platforms that you've adopted this year. So there might be a lot of people just utilizing what you've already done for their own campaigns in the future. And we're seeing that across the board anyways right now with the number of podcasts that are coming out, the number of people that are trying to get their point across, kind of moving around the media spectrum, uh, not making the, you know, not giving it to a messenger, but delivering the message directly to the American people. And I wanted to ask you about that because 
you know, President Trump has dealt with an enormous, enormous amount of backlash from certain people in the media. I don't want to say all media. We've seen this uh, both at his press briefings um, and on MSNBC, CNN. Uh, I was just watching Al Jazeera the other day, and it was just constantly, constantly going after the president. Uh, is that something that you feel that you've overcome by talking directly to the American people and with President Trump, there's such a connection with the American public. Do you think that uh, maybe getting him on one of these uh, rallies on on Facebook would be the way to go right now, I guess, before November elections? Well, I think we would love to uh, whenever the president has the time. I think that's that's maybe our, our big goal is to get him to be part of uh, one of our, our virtual town halls and have him, you know, Skype in or however we can get him there uh, to talk to the people. But Sarah, that's why he he really loves doing the rallies that you see him do. That's why we get, you know, 100,000 people RSVP for these rallies because people are sick of the mainstream media. They're sick of the filter, the, the nonsense that continues to come out of certain outlets. And they want to hear directly from the president. So that's why so many people love coming to these Trump rallies. That's why they people follow him on Twitter, because the president wants to go directly to the people. I think if there's anything you can credit him for, for sure, since he started running uh, in back in 2015 for president, it's that he has really exposed many aspects of the mainstream media. They're my dogs. Do you hear them? Uh, well, <laughs> I love welcome it. to my home, everybody. But he's really exposed the media in many cases for for what they are. And they're not just reporting the facts. They're not just delivering news to the people. It's very, very strong opinions. And it's filtered in a way to make you believe whatever their opinions are. And that is not what journalism is supposed to be. That is not how it should operate. So he's really exposed them. And I think these two plus hour press briefings that he does pretty much every day. And I have to say, we got to give him a lot of credit for that. That is not easy to stand up in front of a mostly hostile media, take every single question that they throw his way, because he really wants to deliver all of the information he can to the American people every single day, make sure they're informed, they know what's going on, they know how long this is all going to last, when we can expect things to get back to normal, and what the federal government is doing to help us move in that direction. So I think he's really exposed them. I think most people have caught on to to the bad outlets, the bad actors in, in the journalism field. They know who they are. That's why their ratings, Sarah, are so incredibly low. Right. Um, and it's why people are turning to things like podcasts like this, because they want real information. They want real news and they want it delivered directly. That's right. And it's so contentious. It's so contentious and so wrong at a time when the American people really need to hear from their president directly. So these two hour briefings, I got to give it to President Trump. Uh, they are incredible because they deliver news directly to the American people. They cut out that middleman and he does stand up to these really horrific questioning uh, by some of these journalists uh, that try to steer him in one direction or try to place the blame on him. And he brings it right back to them. And I think that's what the American public wants. But you have you're right. CNN, MSNBC ratings dropping I mean, people are just not watching these outlets anymore like they used to at all, but they're still there. They're still, in a sense, trying to dominate what the White House has been doing. Can you talk a little bit about how the president has handled coronavirus? I mean, because I know from speaking to him in the past, and I remember in 2016 on the campaign trail, how much he cares and cared even then about the American people and wanting to deliver change and wanting to be this, uh, you know, this person that would take on Washington elitism, the Washington swamp and change this and put the power back into the hands of the American people. Can you talk a little bit about what and how he has been feeling throughout all of this, because I know talking to people that are close to him, he really cares. He really wants to be able to tackle this crisis, get the American people back to work. But he also really cares about the number of people that have been lost and the people that are still struggling. So I can't imagine, Sarah, a better president right now than President Trump. And I can't imagine anyone actually handling things as well as he has. You think back to January 
when the very day that Nancy Pelosi was handing out her impeachment pens, the president made a very, very important decision to shut down travel from parts of China that have been affected by the coronavirus to the tune of Joe Biden and many Democrats calling him xenophobic and racist, saying that he was overreacting, that this was ridiculous. Thank God he took that step because that saved an immeasurable number of lives. I mean, we have no idea how many people that saved. Could be thousands, could be tens of thousands, could be even more lives that he did that. Now, you think about the fact that this president doesn't need the approval of the mainstream media. He is doing what he knows is right for this country. And he has every step of the way led with that. It wasn't popular for him to close down travel, but he did it anyway. He is listening to the experts every single day and trying to balance what we know we have to do, which is quarantine and, and sort of change the way we operate for a short period of time, but also getting us back to work. This president understands how important it is to make sure our economy bounces back, to make sure we don't stay in this state we're in right now for too long. And, you know, he did it once in three years. You saw the historic numbers, the historically low unemployment numbers, the number of manufacturing jobs coming back to this country, the historic highs in the stock market, the economy boom that we saw under President Trump. And he's going to do it again. So I think that he is probably the perfect president for a time for right now. Even look at the World Health Organization and calling them out for what they have done. I mean, it takes a, a very, very gutsy person to say, we're going to withhold funding until we figure out exactly what you guys have been doing. Because I think anybody that looks at this for one second can see that the World Health Organization is negligent. They have done many things improperly. They are for, I mean, by all accounts, what they did whenever they did not allow China to be properly investigated probably costs many, many lives. So um, he's the perfect president for a time like this. I'm so proud of him. And listen, every day he gets up and he says, it's a new day. We're going to fight the good fight and America is going to come out on top. And he's been right from the beginning. And I want to go back to something here that you brought up that was uh, very important about the World Health Organization. Dr. Tedros, uh, the director of the World Health Organization, has basically, um, in January, came out, they, they issued a public statement that China said that coronavirus, there was no human-to-human -human transmission. They put it out there publicly. His second-in-command uh, is uh, consistently, consistently been pushing China, basically saying that uh, if he were to uh, catch coronavirus or COVID-19, that it would be China where he would want to be, to be treated. Uh, so there's this constant push for China, but yet you have people on the left coming out and even uh, Hillary Clinton, who came out and said, you know, defunding the World Health Organization is a crime. Uh, it, it's going to cost people their lives. But we've actually seen proof that the World Health Organization has failed on numerous, numerous levels. So is it going to require that this administration do a full and thorough investigation of the World Health Organization? And shouldn't we be putting that money that we've been handing over to the World Health Organization, which I think is roughly 14% is what we've been uh, assisting the World Health Organization with into our own labs and research and then bringing back those manufacturing uh, uh, jobs back here to the United States from China and rebuilding here in the U.S. first because it is a national security issue. Absolutely. Listen, what everything you just said is the exact reason that the president made the call he did. And the, the reason that the people of this country elected Donald Trump in 2016 is for specifically times like this, when we are paying around $500 million of taxpayer money to the World Health Organization from the United States, yet China, who has a much bigger population than we do, is paying around 40. So you tell me where there's a big discrepancy there. And then on top of that, you have the, the folks in charge of the World Health Organization covering up for and lying for China in a time where lives all across the globe were at stake. They had an opportunity to stop this thing in its tracks. That is their job. They did not do that. But this is why, Sarah, people in the United States were sick of the nonsense and they voted for Donald Trump because he doesn't play the same games that every politician has throughout history. 
Most politicians would have turned the other cheek and said, ah, you know, it's too bad. They should have done more. Not Donald Trump. He stands up and he says, enough is enough. You guys are not holding up your end of the bargain. We're paying way too much money from the United States to you of our taxpayer money, the hard-earned money from the, the American people. And enough is enough. We have to investigate them. And then to your second point, we absolutely need to make sure that we are able to sustain ourselves here in the United States without the help of any other countries. This president in three short years made us energy independent. That is a huge step that doesn't get talked about a lot, but it's a very, very important thing. And we have to see that on all fronts. And you're seeing why every step of the way Donald Trump has been right about border security. It's not just about making sure that illegal immigrants aren't flooding over our southern border unchecked. It's about a time like this when you need to know who is coming into and out of your country, and you need to make sure that you can regulate that. Whenever you're talking about China specifically, Donald Trump has been calling out China for 30 plus years and saying somebody needs to do something about this. You look at supply chain, you look at the, the gear that the the hospital workers, the doctors and nurses who are our frontline heroes every day are having a hard time getting a hold of or, or we're having a hard time. It's because it's all manufactured in China, drugs manufactured in China. We have to bring things back to the United States. We have to be able to sustain ourselves completely. And we should never ever find ourselves in a place again where we are reliant on any other countries, especially China, because God forbid we ever found ourselves in a situation like this. I think the good news is that the president has been taking steps all along the way when you're looking at things like USMCA leveling the playing field when it comes to trade with China, the first phase of the China trade deal signed. This president has known for a long time why it was so important to be able to sustain ourselves here in the United States. And he's been putting those balls in motion since day one. We need now more than ever to continue that motion, continue that momentum so that we never find ourselves in a situation like this again. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that without having President Trump, if he had not been president, and I'm going to get to that in a minute because we're going to talk about lies and cover-ups really quick before I have to let you go because I think it's so important. But without having President Trump really sticking with these issues, if it would have been somebody else, we would have never seen how exposed we really are to the rest of the world and what a threat to our national security this has been. I think that if anything, uh, dealing with COVID-19 has really, and, and the task force has been incredible. The coronavirus task force led by Vice President Mike Pence at really looking at and analyzing what we need to do to protect our country, to protect the American people, and to really move forward. So this looks like this is really the platform of the president come this November, right? I mean, there's nothing that the Democrats can say that can take that platform away because the American people have seen it now for themselves. Yeah, it's interesting because they they fought against everything that the president really has stood for, whether you're talking about America first, whether you're talking about supply chain issues being overseas, whether you're talking about bringing manufacturing jobs back to this country, um, all of the things that this president has stood up and said, we need to do this here in this country, the Democrats have fought him every step of the way, and it's all exposed. It's all out there now. So you're right. This is exactly what we're going to talk about as we head towards November. We're going to talk about why Donald Trump is the only person who could have brought us out of this, and we will get out of it, and bringing us back to prosperity as a country. Now, you contrast that, Sarah, with sleepy Joe Biden, who doesn't even know what position he's running for. God bless him. Um, <laughs> bless his heart, as we say in North Carolina, where I'm from. But it's it's really amazing to see the contrast between a strong, decisive leader like President Trump, who is not listening to the, the same old garbage in Washington, D.C. He's not beholden to anyone but the American people versus a career politician like Joe Biden. I am terrified to know what would have happened, God forbid, if he would have been in the president's shoes right now. It, it would have been a totally different situation, and I think this country would have been long, long gone. So we're so lucky to have the president, and it's exactly what we're going to talk about as we head towards Election Day in November. That's incredible, and I agree with you 100%. Now I want to just get your take on what's been happening, all of the evidence that's come out. When I talk about lies and cover-ups, what Senator Ron Johnson and Senator Chuck Grassley have been able to do by exposing those footnotes in Inspector General Michael Horowitz's report, which basically reveals that people within the FBI, those high-level, the fired former FBI Director James Comey, 
uh, former CIA director, John Brennan, uh, James Clapper, former head of the DNI, that basically people, even on the Crossfire Hurricane team, knew that this was Russian disinformation in Christopher Steele's dossier. It was basically all a bunch of lies. Uh, I've been saying that for three and a half years now. We've been uncovering stories, you know, on Sean Hannity's show, uh, along with a few other reporters and, of course, Congressman uh, Devin Nunez, who's been incredible and on top of all of this. But now we're seeing for the first time that they all knew it. They didn't care. They didn't care. They, I actually believe that they utilized it to their own benefit uh, to try to spread lies and rumors about the campaign conspiring with Russia, which, in, in my opinion, was a soft trying to attempt a soft coup on this president and the American people. And now it's all out there. How does that feel? I mean, it's the, the campaign, of course, from 2016 and the administration has been vindicated. But do enough of the American people know about this and shouldn't be people be held accountable for this? I mean, will we be seeing indictments? What do you think? Well, I will say as somebody that worked incredibly hard in 2016, our campaign was, um, we'll call it very grassroots. Um, I often joke about the fact that we couldn't have colluded with Iowa, let alone Russia. So when the whole notion came out that somehow, I mean, it's ridiculous, Sarah, that somehow our campaign had colluded with Russia. At first, we were kind of like, oh, well, they gave us a lot of credit. Uh, and then for a second, we stepped back and we said, wait a minute, this is absolutely ridiculous. I think that the interesting thing is every step of the way, you've seen that all of the accusations thrown at our campaign and at the president, in fact, have actually been going on on the other side. The Clinton campaign, not the Trump campaign, actually did some collusion with Russia. They they worked alongside Russia, whether you're talking about the Steele dossier, Fusion GPS, all of this stuff, it actually came from the other side. And you're right, it hasn't been exposed at all. It's funny how the second that there's any idea that Donald Trump or his campaign did something wrong, it's splashed across the media 24-7. But when it comes to the other side, the shoes on the other foot, or there's some way to vindicate the president in our campaign, it's never talked about. It's crickets from most of the mainstream media, uh, save for a very few people. I think it has to be exposed. And I think that that every American citizen out there, whether you like the president or not, whether you voted for the president or not, should take this very, very seriously, because if they can try and do this to this president, they can try. They could do it to any one of us. We would not have the resources or the ability to fight back in most cases. It's really scary. This is something that should never be happening and never happen in the United States of America. We need to get to the bottom of this. And I just want to say I give a lot of credit to the people that have been working so hard. It's not easy whenever you know that they're probably never going to get all the information out there that should be. But what they did was so important by getting to the bottom of this. And, and we have to expose these people. We can never let this happen to another American president period. Oh, I agree with you. And you brought up a really good point. This can happen to any one of us, to any one of you out there who are listening right now. And there is a great fear right now that it has, that they've not only abused the system. And I always, like I always said, President Trump was not their first rodeo. And that is the reason why the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court actually believed and why there was a review and Horowitz did that review, that random sampling review of all those FISA warrant applications and found such egregious behavior on the part of the FBI. So you're right. It can never happen again. Laura, before I let you go, I want you to be able to tell all the listeners out there what they can do to get involved now. What's coming up next for you? Where can we see you next in the campaign? And uh, basically, how can people get involved from their own lockdown uh, to ensuring that they're a part of the political process come November? So we would love for everybody to tune in to our virtual events. If you go to DonaldJTrump.com and click on events, you can see all the upcoming events we have. I'm hosting one coming up with Brad, our Black Voices for Trump, our Latinos for Trump, Women for Trump events that we have coming up. You can go to ArmyForTrump.com and you can sign up to volunteer and become part of our Trump army to help reelect the president uh, come November of this year. Because I think it is very evident now more than ever, we need President Donald Trump for four more years uh, to make sure we get this country back on track and make America great again. 
Wow. Thank you so much, Laura. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. I know you've got your babies to tend to and please say hi to Eric uh, for me and just stay safe. I know New York's been hit really hard. Uh, my heart goes out to everyone in New York City and in New York State that have had that have had to deal with this uh, terrible crisis, this COVID-19 outbreak. So uh, my heart's there with you. Thank you again for being a part of this and everyone out there just Get involved. Be a part of this election. This is what we've all fought for. This is what our men and women have fought for since the beginning of this nation is for us to be a free nation where we can go out and be involved in the political process. Uh, you can do so from your home, just like Laura said. You can do it right there from your laptop and be a part of the process, and I hope you do. Thanks, Laura. It was just great having Laura Trump on and being able to talk to her uh, about all everything that's been happening across the country as far as the election, uh, as far as how President Trump is handling this, about what we can do. So remember, just get out there, be a part of this uh, process, be a part of the November elections, whatever side you're on. This is what's important here. What's important is that the American people not forget what we're about and what our nation stands for. And our nation stands on principles. And that's what we've been seeing across the country. You know, I'm so angry at Democrats trying to belittle the American people who, by the way, let's reiterate again, 22 million unemployment applications. This is very disheartening. I can tell you 1.5 million healthcare workers some that they consider non-essential. I don't know what that is, you know, because everybody is a part of a system. Whether you're cleaning up a hospital, whether you're assisting a nurse, whether you're the nurse, whether you're the doctor, whether you're the anesthesiologist, 1.5 million healthcare workers are about to lose their jobs. In Boston, Boston Medical Center, 10% furloughs right now at Boston Medical Center. You got rural clinics all across this country. And you have American people, American workers, restaurant workers, construction, manufacturing, uh, food industry, I, across the board that are losing their jobs. Don't forget They're entertainers. Scared. You got entertainers out there with no crowds. Right. I don't want to forget. That's right. Here's Adam. He works. You know, Adam, how have you been dealing with this? I mean, look, you've had a lot of cancellations, weddings. Uh, you've been, you know, you're a DJ. You work one of them, by the way. Adam Carlucci, <laughs> one of the most wanted DJs on the East Coast. I so, was. And, I certainly was. Yeah. <laughs> well, and cancellations everywhere, right, Adam? Not, I mean, luckily, our industry is not seeing as many cancellations as reschedulings, which has really been good for us who have been taking deposits. But yeah, right. and I don't want to sound like I'm in it any worse than anybody else, but it's just, it's across the board and it's not just something that's going to come back whenever we lift restrictions. I mean, one in 10 restaurants is already done. Right. Even in my neighborhood here in Alexandria, Virginia, there are people that have lost their businesses. So when people in Ohio stand up in protest, in Texas, in Maryland, all across the board, in Pennsylvania, when people are frustrated and angry, it's because they know that they're not just dealing with coronavirus, folks. This is bad enough. We have to be sympathetic here. They're dealing with an uncertain future, bills that they can't pay, house payments. And, you know, when I talk about the hospitals and what's been happening in, in the medical community, this is about people can't go in and get their checkup. So if you don't get your checkup and let's say, you know, you have to go in and get your checkup. For some people, say they say, oh, well, that's non-essential. No, it's pretty essential for some people. Making sure that we catch cancer early, heart disease early. Other issues such as diabetes, such as going in for your colonoscopy, that's, you know, these are things that are elective. For some people, it could actually save their lives. And when hospitals get shut down in rural places and when, you know, we're not having elective surgeries, which aren't so elective, some of them. This isn't about plastic surgery, folks. This is about, you know, some surgeries that, well, okay, you could live for a while without getting that surgery, but guess what? You're going to be under a lot of pain or you're going to be under a lot of duress or it's something you have to reschedule for the future. But when those hospitals don't get that money, 
they can't operate. They can't make payments. So we're having issues all across the country. Even with the Mayo Clinic, you know, Mayo Clinic right now is cutting 10% of the salaries for their doctors just to make ends meet. So this is an issue that we are all in together. But if I hear one more Democrat or anyone for that matter, you know, try to put down the American people, even a Republican out there, anybody put down the American people because they're frustrated and they're standing outside saying, please let us wear a mask. Let us go back to work with our gloves on. Just let me go back to work. I just want to make sure that my family has food on the table, that I can still, you know, pay for the school lunches, that I can still make my payments every month. These are Americans. They are your brothers and sisters, your mothers and fathers, your family, just the same way that the people who are struggling with coronavirus right now are our family, are our are part of our nation, and that we're doing our best to help them, right? We're wearing our masks. We're going to the store. We're trying not to, you know, expose anyone. If we feel sick, we're staying at home. We're trying to limit our contact with the outside world. Well, just the way we care about all of the people that need our help right now, the most vulnerable, we also have to care about the most vulnerable in our economy. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to trickle down, guys. It's going to trickle up. It trickles down. It's going to go everywhere. Because we won't be able to avoid what can happen, what kind of catastrophe can happen in this nation if over 22 million people and more continue to lose their jobs and they don't get them back. Depression. Loss of home. Families breaking up. Children on the streets. Not going to school. Not learning. It'll be tough. It'll be really tough. So Man. we have to care about everyone and we have to care about each other. You know, I could go on and on and on and on and I want to, but I'm going to wrap it up here. I want us to all think about what's important. It's our country. It's each other. It's you and me working through this together here. You know, I'll try to keep it going here at the Sarah uh, Carter show Uh Come see us online. Visit us at sarahacarter.com. Follow me on Twitter at sarahcarterdc. Follow Jenny on Twitter at JennySTear. And Adam, are you on Twitter? Oh, are yeah. Lucio the DJ. L-U-C-C-I-O, folks. Find me there. Yeah. Follow us, and we'll be following you and bringing you the stories. Because remember, here at the Sarah Carter Show, we are taking the story back, America. We're taking the story back and bringing it to you. Gotcha.